Welcome back to the basement, boys and girls. You are now tuned in to Chunky Glass of the Podcast. I am your host, Kevin, as usual. Uh, this week we've got another long one. Uh, unintentionally long, I think, but uh, it is for a good cause. Uh, our guest this week, Casey Ray, is the current CEO, amongst other things, of uh, Future of Music Coalition. If you don't know uh, who they are, you're about to get an earful about everything that they do. But the short version is uh, we exist in a world where uh, not just music, but a lot, a lot of times the uh, entertainment industry is uh, struggling in some sectors, and it's harder and harder to make a living uh, making this art that sort of enriches all of our lives. Future Music Coalition are the uh, superheroes coming in to save the day to make sure that that world will continue to exist. Uh, so the the uh, the policy wonk Avengers, if you will, and uh, Casey is their leader. So um, invited him over and uh, our mutual friend. Uh, Marcus Dowling, who you know from this podcast, has been on quite a few times and had a really uh, insightful, uh, super uh, wonky discussion. Uh, basically gave it a go to try to save the music industry with this podcast. So if you are, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of issues this year, but this is, I think, where we finally go uh, just full wonk on this, man. So if you if you're looking... Uh, for information on what you can do to uh, help save the art uh, or just interested in this area, uh, please tune in and uh, you know, just sit back and relax. Like I said, it is a long one. Uh, also, be aware that at the end of this month, on the 26th and 27th of October, uh, Future Music Coalition is going to have their uh, conference. It is a two-day conference. Uh, you'll hear us talk about the speakers that are going to be on it, but uh, the the names on the list are, are large and uh, really uh, insightful conversations. I do believe they stream it, but it's happening up in Georgetown, so if you can make it up there. More importantly, if you're a musician, there still are, uh, I believe, uh, musician scholarships. So it'll t- cost you $25 to come uh, learn about basically the whole business of your business uh it's really really a great thing so uh we've got that for you this week also uh pj sykes who you know is a friend of ours you know this uh when he's not busy shooting uh hopscotch music festival for us he is busy making music with his band hoax hunters they have a new ep on the way on the 16th of this month entitled clickbait so we have a new song uh for you that i think we're world premiering. I don't really do world premieres, but you know, it's PJ. So uh, that's what we're going to do. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the back end of this. Uh, for now, um, let's just get to the thing. So here you go. This is episode number 136 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, where we sit down with Casey Ray of Future Music Coalition to try here. to save the music industry. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two word review just said. Like- Happy that uh, 
Actually, uh, I have the most hair of anybody in this room. So this that's is a, that's amazing. This, this is a good fucking start. <laughs> You're getting there. I love uh, it. I love it. Marcus, it's been a while since you've been down here. Welcome back. Hey, how's it uh, going? Uh, Mr. Casey Ray. I don't know if we should call you Mr. Ray because you do some important fucking work, but uh, you can call me anything you like. All right. uh, I'll, I'll respond to almost anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you over there. Yeah. You We're it. gonna hit Twitter up now. <laughs> what right. to call Casey? Um, no, you are uh, the head, the CEO of the Future of Music Coalition which is, I think, one of the more important organizations today that is uh, engaging in, in all this like hubaloo about what the fuck are we going to do with the music industry. And this is that is one of your jobs. So. That's the legal term. What the fuck are we going to do? It's the, yeah, le- it's I, the legal term yeah, of art yeah. Yeah. used by professionals. Yeah, um, that's one of the panels on your upcoming conference, It is the, the theme say, of the please, conference. Please great yeah. And it has been the theme for the last 15 years. Yeah, right. right. Um, so uh, a little bit about yourself besides FMC. or How did you get to FMC? Oh, man, this is a, is a crazy, crazy story. And, and I'm often asked to tell it. And uh, sometimes I bore myself. But if you're hearing it for the first time, then maybe uh, it won't be as boring. I actually have uh, no reason, uh, really a credible reason to be doing what I do mm-hmm. uh, in the Washington policy arena. Um, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I didn't uh, study public policy or anything like that. I was a musician. And when I was 16 years old, I left high school and went to my state university for jazz guitar. Um you know, it was the era of the shredder, and so I kind of <laughs> learned my sweep arpeggios. And Jesus um, Christ! So, so Ingve Vai and Satriani. Yeah, I didn't like any of those guys. No, no, I, no. I, I really didn't. Um, it was actually a very difficult uh, decade to be a guitar player in in many ways because yeah. you you learned what you had to learn. Like basically, like if you're at somebody's basement party and they're you know there's a guitar around, they're gonna ask you to play like a Motley Crue song or whatever. Sure. So you got to have that in the bag. Sure. Uh, Home sweet <laughs> but home. yeah, exactly. Well, that's, a, that's a piano song, but I play piano too. Okay. Uh, but so after that, I I kind of just made my way in the world as a musician. I was in actually in some popular bands in the Northeast and thought that was going to be the thing that I did, uh, got kind of tired of the, of the lifestyle. Um, because even though I'm really, really into music, I'm not super psyched on like hanging out with sound guys, uh, sound men at like, you know, weird, weird venues, like for five hours before the show, like listening to them tell you about the time that they mixed, uh, you know, Megadeth or whatever, <laughs> the halitosis and the whole business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I got into audio production and so I did that for a while and, um, I stumbled into, I'd always been writing about music and I stumbled into a job, uh, where I was a music editor for uh, my local Alt Newsweekly. And uh, at the same time, I was writing for a lot of publications that are some of which are still around. And on a whim, basically decided to move to D.C. Uh, actually, I just I was thinking of moving here for a very specific reason, because I had a, uh, a job offer at uh, a local institution. Um, and I expected that I was going to continue to work in editorial I'm glad I didn't because out of the, you know, industries that, you know, they tell you not to get into, first of all, would probably be the first one would be the entertainment industry. And the second one would probably be journalism. Uh, I noticed, uh, you know, when I moved here that there was this organization uh, called Future Music Coalition that was doing work that I felt was very, very relevant to the things that I've been pondering. Um, You know, what really kind of like impressed me was future music coalitions work on uh the impact of radio consolidation commercial radio consolidation on 
on uh, indep- on the independent sector, independent labels and and artists and local artists. Uh, back in my day, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get played on uh, full power commercial radio stations, not just in my hometown, but you know, throughout the Northeast. And one day that just kind of stopped, and I didn't really understand why. Like, do we smell bad? Did we do something wrong? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Right. And uh, as it turns out, there was a, a major piece of legislation that was passed in 1996 uh, the, called the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Yeah. You know, they named them very well. Uh, and that bill did a whole bunch of stuff, um, some good stuff, some bad stuff. And one of the things that it did that was less good uh, was that it removed the number of um, it removed the caps on the number of stations that a single broadcast company could own. So pretty much overnight, radio went from being like a fairly vibrant and diverse landscape universe of mom and pop stations that kind of competed with one another with, you know, the jocks kind of like, you know, trying to find that hot record. And, uh, you know, if something blows up in, in, in this region or this area, you know, the, the guys in that area would be really excited to try to get in on the action. And that kind of had a positive effect, uh, you know, pre-internet and and you know, slightly post-internet on like kind of bringing a lot of acts into the, a national marketplace and even an international marketplace. And, you know, so it's very interesting to me that there was an organization that was doing research and, and had done research on, on qualitative and quantitative on, you know, the impacts of, of these policy decisions. Right. And I was actually doubly impressed that, you know, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, actually paid attention to it because, you know, Wow, who knew that like artists could actually <clears throat> kind of marshal the resources and, and say, this, we have a sense that this is going to impact us. How do we describe it? How do we actually make uh, our case known in a way that, you know, isn't, you know, just what uh, people want, what the, what may, may, what major industry wants, right? you know, right. people to think about art, where artists' interests are. And then I just started looking a little bit more closely and I was like, okay, wow, this organization started in 2000, you know, when I was working in, uh, in music journalism full time and also engineering on the side, like I was experiencing that shift, mm-hmm. you know, when, when blogging first came to be, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of almost like stealing fire from the gods, you know? Yeah. And right. You know, dealing with with music and MP3 culture uh, after Napster, it was kind of like it was the Wild West. It was chaos. Yeah, uh, I had the intuitive understanding that you know what y- Universal Records or, or whatever thought about the digital disruption might not be the whole story. Yeah, for um, sure. And uh, you know, I was I was happy to sort of stumble into this organization that at least had the view that you know there. They said two things that kind of really rang true for me. Like Jenny Toomey founded the organization, and, and I think she said, uh, you know, a couple of things. She, paraphrasing her, but she said, if copyright completely goes away, it's it's going to be the the smaller folks, you know, the the independent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, musicians and the singular uh, creators that are disadvantaged the most. The big companies will figure out how to work whatever system they have. Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, and so that kind of stuck with me because I was like, oh right, it's not just like some evil draconian thing. There might be some uh, element of there might be some kind of like value to the idea that if you create something it, it does have 
value and and, right. and that there could be not just economic but other uh, things that attach to it. The ability to say no, I don't want you to put my music in a KKK video or whatever that might happen to be, right? And right. so that that kind of impressed me because at the time, um, you know, it seemed like it was split in two camps. A lot of a lot of folks who were like reacting to the event, like tired of paying you know 20 bucks for a cd mm -hmm. at you sure. know uh the, the the mall or the mega store or the big box retailer left out an important piece i was a buyer and manager of a 20 year old at the time independent record store right. and now it's like 35 years old so it's I still also, around yeah so, it's still yeah. around shockingly mm -hmm. and i also i also saw that the sort of um consolidation of the distribution you know even for physical uh, media and so i was kind of just as mad at the quote-unquote music industry as anybody right, else right um, but this organization really kind of hit the sweet spot, uh, and, and I was like, wow, they're thinking very, very thoughtfully, not only about the barriers to entry and the difficulties in actually trying to, to uh, own your creative destiny mm -hmm. in the old model and, uh, and have access to audiences. Um, because there were very high barriers to entry, but yeah. also like in the sort of new evolving, you know, still mysterious realm of, <laughs> of, the, of the internet, internet you know, they were doing, they, Which, they, were, they were making very oh thoughtful, God. thoughtful statements about, well, we can't just close it down and turn it into cable. So net neutrality might be important. Right. Who right. Even know, who even <laughs> right. knew what that was? Even though we're still trying to do that. Yeah, right. still trying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, um, and then the other side of it is like, you know, an actual respect for the idea that, you know, the, the product of your creative, you know, labor yeah. ha has a value uh, and that we might want to, sure, consider how to appropriately, you know, create laws around supporting that value. Right. But we also need to be very, very mindful of the fact that the old version of the industry wasn't great shakes for a lot of folks either, particularly, yeah, yeah. At, you know, from between the years of 1998 and 2005. Yeah. You know, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look back, like way back, you look at, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and stuff, people getting deals and you know, people have been, I think, getting sort of screwed over by labels, you know, as time like since time began, since right. recorded music began, and um, with the internet came, uh, you you had to address all these questions. It forced the question. It, it, you had to it because forced the question. because with I, I remember when Napster dropped, you it wasn't even just that. Uh, what's the value of this? Right. It it was well. You know the value. The value was like everybody flocked to music. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right, but in, as Marcus and I discussed a lot, you know, like there is a value to a, a great cultural value to this increased uh, vocabulary, musical mm -hmm. vocabulary that everybody received yeah. from that, um, which makes all this very like difficult. I think, especially from a policy standpoint. Of course, in 2015, the the landscape looks a lot different. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, you know, that one of the most, one of the more flawed assumptions about uh, disintermediation or the digital disruption was that, you know, there was going to be an ass for every seat and the economics would follow, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's kind of like the long tail theory. No, it's not. Yeah. And the long tail does exist, but it gets, you know, uh, you know, wafer thin. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, it's very, very hard to sustain, you know, cottage enterprise yeah. to say nothing of even small to medium sized enterprise within within that tail. Right. Uh, which kind of creates a new dynamic where, you know, the same kind of media empires mm -hmm. exist uh, in 2015 as did before. The idea that the major labels would just blow up and, and you know 
and float away is right right you know, no they adapt they're, they're they're i don't even think they're adapting they're just they're 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 fighting to like to, you know strangle yeah. pennies now that's like I, that's my my thing with the major labels sometimes that, I, I explain it like i don't mean to interrupt but no no it's funny. i'm an i'm an interrupter you it's guys invited good. me since you're full it's all love uh, it's like you know the last uh, season of the sopranos where you get, get a bunch of wise guys <laughs> who are basically still whacking each other over an increasingly small patch of patch of turf yeah exactly and it there's a there's a tragedy to that uh you know but on the other hand there's also opportunity if folks figured out that we are potentially on the verge of a global music industry for the yeah. first time that the mm -hmm. technology itself actually could aid in a level of uh you know accuracy transparency and return of value yeah. well, we were never transparent though that's the thing i mean if if the music industry historically were transparent and based on honesty and fairness and decency and you know respect of the the artists and their you know desire and ability to make like a little living wage, yeah. then we'd be in a different place. Well, mm -hmm. trust me, opacity was a feature, not a bug. Exactly yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so right, you know, in talking about a global music economy, what is uh, your estimation of of what that looks like? The, the don't get best me wrong. I'm the... not trying to go for some sort of like market determinist, you know, one right, one right, ring right. to rule them all version of music i'm just saying that the opportunity does now exist like mm -hmm. if you look at just fundamentally what this network means uh you know the opportunity and that promise uh that we were also starry-eyed about in you know 1999 yeah uh still actually does exist and, and as a matter of fact we actually have systems better systems now to to, mm -hmm. to capitalize on it not just in a monetary way but in general you know the idea that a, a bluegrass fan in australia Australia has an opportunity uh, to experience that yeah. uh, in a very convenient way is very powerful. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, you know, there are things that you can't quite predict, um, no matter how industry wants to try to predict it using now harnessing the power of data, mm -hmm. that actually can, you know, open up interesting new avenues for creativity and expression. The, the, the industry we have now isn't actually particularly well calibrated for any of that. No. And even where it is, it actually kind of wants to do the old thing. It wants to extract the maximum amount of value from the distribution pipe and, and hoard it. Uh, that's going to be very, very difficult because, you know, the, the large digital service providers don't really care about no they don't <laughs> i mean no, no i mean it's i mean when you when you break it down to the economics of it like nobody cares it's right. it's a product and it's a sad um you know it, it's hard if somebody is is artistic or creates and stuff to accept that ultimately what if they're putting it in front of people instead of just keeping it to themselves in the room it's a product and yeah. it, and therefore in our society at least is is expected to have some economic value and how you figure that out um, is one of the really, I mean, one of the real issues here is that we have kind of dealt with the idea that, you know, information wants to be free for so long, mm -hmm. which actually is only the first part of the maxim. You know, uh, it, the other part of it is information also wants to be expensive. And the fact that it wants to be expensive is, is you know, behind, you know, the the sort of industrial combat that you're seeing right now between the largest, uh, you know, technology companies in the old days, uh, you know, AT&T and, and, and U.S. Steel, you know, never the twain did meet. But now Apple wants to be a car. Everybody wants to be a TV. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, but, but in general, in the entertainment ecosystem, you know, there's this sort of desire to uh, marshal all of that, all of the resources that you have to sort of grab that brass ring mm -hmm. to get the audience that, you know, that have, you know, to, to have scale. 
It, to control it, is that what it is system. now? Because it is it is confusing to me, like as a consumer, how I can have like uh, even like you mentioned AT and T, a cell phone company, essentially now yeah. now yeah, but but they everybody in like Comcast like makes moves into like being everything. Comcast owns NBC Universal, right? Right, yeah. NBC Universal, and you have these people that are in companies uh, that will pursue. Uh, not stay in their lane and then be like, Hey, we're going to have this other music platform. So, so what you get, uh, yeah, yeah, here yeah, I no. go again. No, 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 what no, you yeah, get is basically me. like the old loss leader model on steroids. Yeah. And the funny thing was, you know, if you look at the brief history of, of digital music, you've got a situation where pure chaos, uh, loss of control over the distribution pipe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no way to really you know, rein this back in. And Steve Jobs saying, here's an opportunity Here's a price point, and here's an ecosystem. Yeah, the you, funny, do you the, think it was Jobs? He actually did manage Personally. to whisper in the ears of of the of the major you know content companies in music, and get them to sort of trust that model, or at least allow for the experiment to occur. Mm-hmm. You know, the Faustian bargain that he kind of you know deviously had them enter into was that he also told them, "No problem. You want digital locks? You want yeah. digital rights management? We'll do it." proprietary yeah, uh, yeah and then yeah, he yeah. actually created the most irresistible and sexy lifestyle device to tie it all together yeah. right. well, he also told them that he wasn't going to expand to the pc marketplace and then he did <laughs> right 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 here's here's the thing though is that like now we've been this, we're in this era now where like it's funny there was an article on pigeons and planes where you're talking about how soundcloud is now moving from a community model to a product model mm-hmm. of course and it's intriguing in the sense that when the communities began when soundcloud became a community and bandcap became a community of independent god bless bandcap. music right god bless them they're wonderful and in the sense that now like okay so when the when the the itunes era became sort of this kind of like played out and tired thing now you have the content providers attempting to get in bed with mm-hmm. this community model and it's funny to watch community model people you know, SoundCloud's the ones who are like, well, okay, well, we're gonna, we're just gonna like capitulate, screw it. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna fall into bed with well, the. We're, if you we're, wanna, gonna do it, we're gonna do what Steve Jobs did and just say, okay, screw it, we're just gonna fall. Well, into if bed you want to look at this, it actually like through through the lens of like what the law allows, and and you know, right. there are three paths to uh, to to I don't know some kind of success if you want to call it that i don't even know if i can call it that yeah, in in the digital music market <laughs> no, no. i certainly one wouldn't. is uh you know have a model that you know sure you can call it community based but essentially it, it makes use of safe harbors right yeah uh, under the digital millennium copyright act section yeah. 512 uh users can upload stuff uh you are not obligated to monitor the service when it is pointed out to you by rights holders that something is infringing you take it down yeah yeah um the the major media companies and music companies are you know in a very interesting position because they kind of hate that yeah. but they also understand that you know there's value in monetizing eyeballs or ear holes yeah. at, yeah, yeah, at yeah. a certain scale right so if something gets to a certain scale what they will that what they'll do is they'll kind of say it's time to license. You know, yeah. It's time to yeah. straighten up or mm-hmm. we're going to bring down the full force of the law. Look at, look at. And so they do stuff to, to make examples of, like, trust me, Groove Shark, I did not want to, ex- I d- don't want that service to exist. Yeah. I mean, it's predicated on a flawed idea. Now, what, you know, steal first, license later. This is going to sound mm-hmm. dumb because I run a fucking music site, uh-huh. but uh, I never engage in Groove Shark. Can Good for one you. of you guys explain it to me how this worked? 
Basically, it was like, you know, it was trying to be YouTube, uh, but for audio only, but there wasn't any sense of a developed community, like with SoundCloud, where it kind of actually did happen yeah, organically. Yeah, right. Like the technology actually drove the adoption of SoundCloud because it was useful to creators. Yeah. Was it a user upload? It was an user uploaded aggregate of just like sounds that were available on... You know, sounds that were available from uh, purchase content and also just the, the gotcha. internet in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I ripped a stream of the new Chance the Rapper song from the YouTube link that was placed up on the internet and I put that onto GrooveShark and said, hey, people, here's this gotcha. GrooveShark link of the new Chance the Rapper, then you could do that. And that was where there were... It's basically Napster, but, on, but, you know, but the streaming model. Completely yeah. On so, so what about that? Was able to skirt uh, the it laws didn't. for so long. It didn't. It didn't. Really. <laughs> oh, it, it was just like fuck you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they had to build their case, and the you know the the because the, the, the they just recently got shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it was the yeah. fact that they 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 built their case around like you know. You know, hearsay and 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 subterfuge for the longest time okay. until finally. I mean, some yeah. folks did license. I mean, there were there were actually like you know some of the major. Uh, Record labels and a lot of independents actually did license Groove Shark, believe it or not, well, because it's another platform. Because it was another platform, and, and it did you know create that there was there was uh, scale, some scale. Uh, but SoundCloud actually is interesting because it happened a little bit differently. Like yeah. you know, obviously the utility of that of that player that that playback device was just really gangbusters for music. It was the blogosphere when the blogosphere got in, where they were like, okay, we need a way to put these songs. On the blogs and and, then, and not get sued. Yes, because because here, here's the thing: if you look now, even in, now in 2015, you have like MP3 blogs everywhere, and they're like, these are just for evaluation purposes. Like that doesn't cut it under copyright law. Right. You know, the wildest thing and, about MP3 blogs, though, is that you know some uh, the, there was an issue uh, a handful of years ago where I can't remember the name of the site, and 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 I'm sorry, Rap Genius. Yeah, Rap Genius. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pull down, uh, or actually. You know, there was a scary skull and crossbones like put in front of it, like see, you know, seized by right, you know, right. the government, uh, and uh, you know, it's the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, it's yeah, hilarious. no, because, yeah, yeah, hilarious. You know, uh, Immigration and Customs yeah. Enforcement actually has the ability to do that. And the interesting thing is, and I'm going to reveal a little bit of, uh, you know, the behind the curtain the secrets about Ooh. what the Future of Music Coalition okay. can do in these instances. You know. Uh, a lot of these blogs, yeah, I'm not talking about the ones like, you know, in Russia, all of mp3.com, right, right, right. like, Absolutely. you know, put in yeah. your credit card and like whatever happens. Right. <laughs> Ad supported piracy at, at, you know, weird, you know, in weird former Soviet satellite yeah. Yeah. countries or whatever. Um, sure. I'm talking about, I'm talking about like a site that really does curate music right. for fan bases where there's editorial, where there's like a sort of meaning behind the, the community. And, you know, honestly, as a former uh, music, uh, full-time music writer, like I just got like inund inundated with MP3s six ways from Sunday uh, coming from the labels. Uh, mm -hmm. so, easily, easily we get like 8,000 emails a week uh, right. of stuff. And, and I, I guess the confusing, the reason like my my point of bringing up blogs like that and stuff is because you have this thing on this platform that is licensed, you know. But like we've been, uh, for example, we did a uh, uh, interview, a film documentary mm -hmm. about Kingsley Flow, who's mm -hmm. a local band here in town. Um, we used one of their songs. Uh, we got hit on YouTube, which is you know for terms of this discussion, like the same as SoundCloud as far sure. as that's yeah, gone. Absolutely. Uh, and and had to uh, basically have discourse with Sony for the better part of a year. 
mm-hmm. completed <laughs> negotiations, we won, mm-hmm. and then one month later, hit again. Mm-hmm. Same same thing. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating and, and kind of appalling uh, when you know the blogger, for example, is getting serviced by the label, by the marketing yeah. department of the label, or outsourced, or in this case, oh, yeah. by the Singer of the band, right? Well, the who singer, may not, who may not singer of the band doesn't yeah, have the rights, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's a little bit yeah, different. A and B aren't talking. Yeah. I think that's that's funny with right. SoundCloud. Right. One right. hand doesn't know. Yeah, what the exactly. Other SoundCloud right now is going through a, a lot of issues with, you know, like a a producer will upload a version of a track, Cascade, for instance. Mm-hmm. He's a you know world renowned uh, you know trance and electro producer. He uploaded a bunch of his own material mm-hmm. to his own SoundCloud, mm-hmm. and his own label Sony. <laughs> pulled down his tracks. Sony pulled it because Sony pulled everything all at once, and yeah. then he went on to uh, on Twitter and he was like, "No, right. actually, like I love my label, Columbia, yeah. which is owned by Sony. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, there are only three major labels. Left exactly. On the right. Let's, let's not Sony, forget that Sony's market share is so big right. that they can make these decisions unilaterally." Yeah. He's like, well, I, I put that up myself, yeah. uh, guys. Uh, what are we doing? And here? they don't care about. You know, they don't. <laughs> yeah. They're not. I don't want to say they don't care. They're not. Their business model at that level, at that mar- level of market share, yeah. is not about you know the individual you know artist or the community yeah, that supports fan the engagement. No. And- it can't be. But yeah. on the other hand, Warner Brothers, which is the uh, the smallest of the three major labels, mm-hmm. uh, is is kind of roughly pulling equivalent if you wanted to look at the aggregated power of uh, the independent label community as represented by their negotiating body, Merlin. They're kind of roughly equivalent. Both of them are licensed to SoundCloud because they were like, you know, they're competing on market share, man. Right, right. Yeah, Warner Brothers jumped in initially and they were just like, okay, let's go. (laughs) Like... Right. Streaming, let's let's make it happen. So right. I wanted to talk about like the loss leader idea though for one second yeah, sure, in, in sure. terms about the you know the idea of scale uh, and and why it's difficult for individual musicians and even independent labels to sort of fathom um, you know the the size of this mm-hmm. uh, of this marketplace and feel in some ways relatively disempowered because of that right. or at least have their their choices that they would make um, severely you know impacted by that and so you know. The iTunes store happened, right? Right. All of a sudden, Steve Jobs had like 70% market share overnight. You know, Apple had Mm -hmm. 70% market share overnight. And even the major labels were like, what the hell just happened to us? (laughs) You know, like like this one digital retailer is like actually doing more volume than Best Buy or, you know, Walmart or whatever. And they'd already gone all in with the consolidated retail model. I, I honestly think that the reason that Spotify was licensed in America had to do with the fact that the uh, European divisions of the major labels were like, you know, this is actually kind of working in, in, in Sweden, which is a notorious pirate market. You think it was delayed yes. just because they wanted even to with test the, it? Even with, the, uh, even with the freemium model. I think they were skeptical and they were looking at it, but I, I think they became convinced in part because they wanted to have some sort of alternative to the hegemony of Apple. Absolutely. Yeah. The yeah, craziest yeah, yeah. thing is like Lucy in the football, though, because like now they're like they 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 don't like Spotify. Yeah. You know the twenty percent conversion rate from fee to paid isn't enough for them. Whatever it is, right. so they run right back to Apple because of you know Apple saying like you know closed you know like subscription only. Like, da, da, da. Yeah. But there's a, you know a, an even bigger universe than just mm-hmm. Apple uh, and and Spotify. Like Apple does. N- Spotify is a standalone company. They're extraordinarily vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. You know, like they have no other paths to revenue. They can't cross collateralize their revenue or risk. It's right. like right. they're getting into video because it might be a lifeline. Yeah. Uh, no. a, co- a company, a company like Apple doesn't have to care about music other than like some 
you know, almost like quaint notion of uh, affinity, brand affinity. Right. I laugh uh, at that because people don't understand that like Apple purchased Beats just so that they could do music. Yeah. They just went out and were like, yeah, we'll buy that. guys, do our music. Yeah, we'll buy that. Like and, you're, a, you're a subsidiary of us. Oh, Dr. V, you want to be a billionaire? Here. Yeah. Okay. And done. weirdly insidious is that I despise Beats. I like the interface, everything. I couldn't do it. I now subscribe to Apple Music. I also subscribe to Audio. Right. Uh, yeah. But well, yeah. I subscribe to like 20 services. I'm yeah. Just yeah, stupid. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all um, are. It's okay. But, but, but the, on the other side of that is like, you know, Amazon. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to demonize like this. Like I'll demonize them in other places. It's fine. Yeah. You're ruining journalism or, you know, you're destroying whatever. I don't really care. But like in music, it's like these are not core categories for these industrial giants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Apple, yeah. Google, Amazon, and Facebook. And Facebook is, you know, always considering whether and how it wants to play. Well, they're doing yeah. music. Uh, they're right. Doing video. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, you have a sense, a situation where the, the four horsemen, uh, so to speak, are basically the distributors of music de yeah. facto. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the major labels are just kind of like, and the big, and the major publishers, the big, you know, the big, the big three. Um, <laughs> here's another funny thing for you. Three major labels, three major publishers. Same corporate parents. Do you want to know who owns the music industry in 2015? I will tell you. Vivendi is a French yeah. telecommunications yeah. giant that has now yep. divested its most of its telecommunications holdings, uh, you know, to, to, to be mostly focused on media. Sony Electronics um, is mm-hmm. a giant Japanese yeah, electronics company. Sony. And there's one Russian oil oligarch that owns Warner. <laughs> uh, folks who invest in music yeah. uh, are... Abu Dhabi owns a big stake of the publishing division of Sony, Sony yeah. ATB. Oh, very large stake. Yeah. yeah. And the estate of Michael Jackson owns a little bit of yeah. the rest. That's who owns music in 2015. Yeah. And uh, on the other side, you have like, you know, basically these companies that are, are essentially not necessarily in the business of music, but want to make, want to use music as a kind of data honeypot. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, that's what I was talking about, like it being everything to everybody. It's like you, you're like, well, I have this thing. Oh, oh, by the way, you can watch, you can listen to your music on my X1 platform on mm-hmm. Xfinity and, and you can get it all there. So it's an exciting time to be a consumer. There's no doubt about it. You have access to all this is stuff. It, is it though? Because I mean, I think it, it's, it's like, also per- per- personally, personally, I think at this point it's, it's so fragmented that it has to be scary and it's driving people to, uh, just essentially the biggest names. In oh music. no, there's that. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Option paralysis. Uh, you know, uh, if you're if you're talking about on demand uh, platforms and and the sort of uh, big data economy, mm-hmm. it's always going to reveal the same thing. It's going to reveal where people are going and and predictive behavior about right. why. But it's also a self reinforcing thing because yeah, you know everybody wants to Here, gravitate. Here's the, to thing the thing that gets me is like now you're at a place where the the labels are now trying to like insinuate music into other into other industries so like you have like empire is my is, is by far my Fucking favorite amazing. show yeah. it, the genius of empire is that it's like labels are insinuating their music into a tv show where the music is like the lost leader of everything because it's yeah. like yeah and yes. they do the same thing yeah. on nashville yeah uh, right exactly yeah. sync licensing is is a growing part of the business and for those of you listening at home synchronization licensing is essentially um 
you know, when you actually attach recorded music to an audio audiovisual product. Yeah. And there's no compulsory license for sync licensing. There's no statutory license for sync licensing. It's direct ne negotiation. And it's the kind of negotiation at the end of the day that I think major and media it, companies it, really prefer. Yeah, they, they yeah. love it. They and know it, who's at the other now, end of the line. Exactly, yeah. right. I should clarify, that's very different than, like, say, fair use. Uh, yeah. Recording this stuff. Right. It's fair use is like if you're doing criticism stuff like that. You know, well, fair use is interesting because well, it's not an automatic. Correct. Thing. To, to me, correct. we're going to get to a point with this though. I'm, I'm intrigued by this only because with a show like Empire, at every single point of the show, from when the show comes on to when the commercials are on, mm -hmm. to everything, at every single point of that show, there's a label that could plug in and plug in their songs mm -hmm. into every single point of a 60-minute yeah. program. In, fa in fact, the first year it was very is obfuscated. You did not know. You're like. <laughs> The the idea was to bring you into this narrative, and you knew that there were these other songwriters doing this. And so yeah. Last night, though, uh, they had Pitbull on. Yeah. And Pitbull and one of the characters apparently have a single out. I would never have known that. I, yeah. I honestly would never have right. seek that out. And here it is at the end, a commercial for this that I can go now purchase this yeah. and. So it's like what yeah, you're talking product about. Product placement. Like, yeah, 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 it's product placement. But like, but even even the commercials now, like you can you can because if you know who the advertisers are mm -hmm. for that hour on your show, you can then reach out to the advertisers and slide them singles too. So you could literally like like you know how Moby, you know, he yeah. broke, like, the, broke the yeah. broke the broke the model down. Mm -hmm. Now you could be like you know Moby, and you could literally place your entire album. Mm -hmm on one hour of a program and have each of your songs in a commercial plus have your songs in the show. I mean, I don't know Which if you is, can actually, like the, the problem with, with the, the lucrative aspect of sync licensing is it's it's very much a buyer's market. Right. And it also like, uh, you know, it's a kind of close, somewhat closed system. Yeah, but it's... But there are ways in yeah. and, and it does, you know, it's not just a major label content that gets placed. There's all kinds of ways to get placed. And, you know, it's it's a, it's oftentimes for bands very, very important because it can kind of be like a one-time like, right. awesome cash infusion, yeah. non-exclusive. Right, but I, but know, I fear that majors can figure out how to game that system. Oh, of course, they already have. Yeah, that. right, yeah. exactly. And once the majors game that system, then when you want to choose like five artists that are going to dominate the top 10%, of the industry, yeah. Then there's like a direct. When you go back to your streaming service, what are you going to listen to? With like, you know, I used to have <laughs> like that's why independent uh, uh, bookstores, independent video stores, independent video uh, rental stores, and independent music stores were all so interesting. And because you know, if you, I walk into Blockbuster back when that existed, like I'm sitting there going. I don't have a. I thought I had a movie in my head, but then I walk in and I'm like stunned by, yeah. you know, even like, you know, I don't know, however many square footage of <laughs> yeah, like yeah. movies to rent. I can't right. decide. <laughs> Somebody help me. Yeah, but now we're in a place. I mean, I know. I don't you're know what that accident right. was. Is like sort of like hillbilly. Yeah. Uh, hillbilly, hillbilly and blockbuster. Yeah, I, I will call that. Uh, and and I think you have that kind of like. Uh, in, that option paralysis increased by orders of magnitude because of the sort of on-demand streaming model. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, again, the, the, the music journalist in me loves the idea of going, wow, like there's a legitimate way for me to, you know, by paying my monthly subscription, investigate this uh, progressive rock band from Italy yeah. who recorded this one album in 1968. Love, yeah, because to me it's the 10 and 90 model. That's where we are now. And the ninety per and the ability of play in that ninety percent now is is wild to me. Like you can do literally anything because that ninety percent is globalized. Yeah, and so, that is yeah. Uh, that is the winner take all model on steroids. Yeah, is what it is. And that's, I think that's where we're headed. And I think that's where we are. It's it, it is it is well past where we're headed. I think yeah. we we actually live in it. 
it's big, big data is actually creating you know resources for major media companies uh, to have much better knowledge about what to invest in. Right. But the problem is if something is popular, then they're going to, because of whatever reason, they're going to invest in exactly that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you're going to get potentially more cookie cutter stuff. On the other hand, the bright spot is because of the sort of chaotic and anything's possible aspect of, of um, self-organizing communities and, and, and responses, the, the, the data and the metrics are, are basically going to be the of equivalent of equivalent va value if something spikes right. you know, whether or not like there's somebody behind it putting a little bit of money into it or whatever it is yeah. uh you know if something spikes and that's going to tell a similar story right. it's going to attract a ton of investment but for the most part you might, may actually get a handful of like taylor swifts mm -hmm. and then everybody else yes. and the drop-off is going to be precipitous yeah that's what i mean by 10 and 20, 10 and 90 but to me also i want to ask you because I, I was like okay i'm going to, get to talk to you about this it okay, was let's it's talk. intriguing We're talking, to me right right well this is really happening exactly but yeah so no <laughs> or is I, it yeah or is or it is right it? but no the idea of like cycling through musical movements much faster now that we're Dude, totally. At now that this yeah. is all at play, like you can cycle through movements like this in that ninety in that ninety percent model, and then every so often in the top ten percent. Like I'll give you an example. So like yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff in dance, which is where this thing is like starting to happen now, where you sure. see these movements and these genres like just Ruined going. Ruined Janet Jackson's new album. Yes, they did. Okay. Yes, it so, did. Anyways, it absolutely did. Hot so take for so you, you give like so like um, so like an example. So like in the midst of everything, they reached into this giant boiling cauldron of genres and they pulled out tropical house and they put it on justin bieber's latest single yeah justin totally. bieber's latest single yeah. blows up uh -huh. and in in this marketplace tropical house happened 10 two weeks ago, ago yeah. and it's 10 steps ago and you're just like oh and then and like and you look at it and it's fun now because when you look at the top 10 and if you're looking at it from the 90 you're just like wow they're really slow yeah but but the people who are up there listening, but really slow is also that, really fast. Exactly, really slow is like insanely fast because it's not what it used to be. It's like it's not what it used to be. Like okay, well you know like grunge is cool and grunge stayed for cool like ten for years. Like 10 years. <laughs> now it's like oh, well grunge you, is classic rock now. That, yeah, grunge, right. Grunge right. is grunge is radio but, programming. But what's even funnier now is that like trap is classic rap. Yeah, and yeah, trap is yeah. was and trap is still happening in yeah. theory, and you're just like, oh, so what do we? So do here, now? here's what I think about that, like, you know, and and I break a lot of hearts when I when I remind people in in the music industry who's um, who really have skin in the game, and I can tell that they're raising an eyebrow sometimes when I say it, uh, but you know what? Don't shoot the messenger, man. <laughs> <laughs> the music is actually has a fun a fundamental problem besides like reasserting its commercial value its fundamental pro problem is is actually one of mind share which is why mm. the major labels and other folks are very cannily trying to attach music to other popular products mm. because it's mind share and and even if you're looking at you know music competing against other entertainment categories like in the old days it was somewhat protected you know there were books there were magazines there were newspapers and there was the radio mm -hmm. yeah and there was broadcast television and that was kind of the scene um and uh you know music lived in in several kind of quasi protected environments now it's competing against all of that but it's also competing against crazy cat memes uh <laughs> weird 
weird videos, yeah. viral videos, video games, uh, just millions of things that are actually right. competing for people's attention. You know, um, sexting is really hot. I hear. Yeah, it is. the Snapchats, the Snapchats. Yeah. Um, so and wait, wait, wait for it. Okay. Not only is music competing against those things in a generic, like larger, enlarged entertainment. Uh, category where everything is available all at once it's competing against itself all of recorded music history being instantly available it's yeah. competing right. against it's just, itself right it tumbles right. it's, it's <laughs> so amazing. that, that yeah. kind of creates a you know a situation where you know even the the best and the most hot and exciting thing of now like how much how deeply ingrained does that become in our cultural parlance in an era of like, well, you know, infinite, whatever, yeah, no question, water cooler. The moments. question this brings up, and you might know, remember the guy's name, the, the uh, country music radio DJ who was talking about why um, they play mostly male artists and female artists and stuff. What is this? This is sort of hard to put. Like, what is this saying though about like I guess the listening public, the consumers? Because it is a vicious, like Caduceus cycle where it's just there. People are fed this, who are they're not exposed to. So, so the like other the three of us in in this room are are very engaged in music. Very. That's sadly like one percent of the population. Oh, probably less than that. Probably less than that. So so. Some people just don't care to be... Gus is coming on the podcast. All right. Yeah. Uh, some people don't care to be that engaged. And so, like, what... I, I don't even know what you do about that. But how, how do you explain that away? If, if like, uh, Toby Keith is, like, the biggest thing because... Is it because he's writing stuff that is meeting the needs of his listeners or listeners in general, the larger populace, or is it just because people have gotten used to hearing Toby Keith? Well, I mean, you know, that Toby Keith is like 2003 or sure, whatever. Sure. Mm. Like country is like a science now. That is it a is science. No, no, country's but gonna, pop's a science too. No, here, here's, it is, it it's is. funny. It's a it's, Swedish science. It's yes, it's, right, exactly. It's funny that we mentioned country because country to me is like the next radically shifting market because there's $10 billion in Nashville. People don't <laughs> stop and realize just how much money there is in Nashville, like Tennessee. Nashville's the last uh, factory town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but in, in that sense that like now every other genre has stopped and looks at country and is like, how are you guys like... They want to hit your ride on totally, that. You're right. But to on that pickup guys, truck, Yeah, how way. are you guys but, totally cool... When we're all freaking the fuck out, like we're just. Well, I'll just tell yeah. you the truth that you know uh, Nashville's uh, you know country music as a genre, like mainstream commercial country music, mm -hmm. is essentially like slurry. Yeah, like it, it is like a slurry of everything. Like there's the hip hop and country, urban and country. Yeah, right. There's like twenty five thousand different weird you know popular music genres that right. are getting yeah. put in this blender and, and pushed out. Uh, you know, some of that is is obviously because consolidation in the, in the commercial radio sector, which I talked about at the top of the hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you know, if, if you've got a programming model that that basically is, uh, you know, trying to sell the most, um, trying to aggregate the most listeners in order to sell advertising, Absolutely. then yeah. you know they're gonna they're gonna lock on to something mm -hmm. and really ride that out. Uh, and I don't really mind it so much. I mean, like the cool thing about Nashville is like there are folks that get up in the morning. 
They make their coffee, they have breakfast, they kiss their family goodbye, they go to a place, a room, and they write some songs. Yeah. And then they demo those songs with, uh, you know, AFM, American Federation of Musician Session Players, who are getting paid scale. Mm-hmm. Those guys caught the demo. Somebody from the publisher, like whoever that, that songwriter is, yeah. is working for, is going to take that over to the label. Mm-hmm. The label's going to match that. Their A&R people are going to match that to the new hot talent. Uh, the 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 union guys are going to come back in and cut the actual record, yeah. and then they're going to service is, that to which, country radio. Which is, which is a, another thing. And maybe, then they're going to go home. At five another thing I, th- I think people don't realize, or maybe they do, is that that's also how like the early like American song catalog, like the Brill Building, that's how it worked. Uh, that's how it worked. Nashville's like, the like, last factory. But Neil Diamond, fucking uh, <laughs> yeah. Paul Simon, they were four contract. They wait, they yeah. sat in a room and they wrote. Here, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Wait until the digital age reaches the point where it gets into a factory model and with the speed and time in which this is happening like really casey think about it like i think about this all the time it's a crazy notion to me of when you can when you're going to get to a point where there are literally kids in rooms assembling discrete units yes (laughs) assembling discrete units of tracks and just funneling them through the the internet to all sorts of people you got measures 4 through 8 you 16 through 24 seriously like i i have this image in my head have you pitched this to terry gilliam no, I have not. I, I, I just, I see this in my head of like... Why do you need humans if you can crunch the data? Exactly, right. But that's where we're going. You can I, algorithmically Because I feel like it. people are, are now waking up again to the idea that like Nashville was just existing for all this time. And now it's like because the, the music industry is falling apart and like country yeah. still killing Trust it. me, in, in, in late capitalism, that's still... F- really inefficient yeah but but like it's it's going to be fascinating to watch the industry then attempt to take this factory concept because they figured that's that's got to be the magic i'll tell you what i'll tell you what they can go there and they probably will and it's probably already uh, happening but there are a couple of things that are still actually really kind of magic about music magic magic about radio i agree magic about i agree but but we don't care about the magic anymore the weekend charted his entire album yeah. We don't care about the magic anymore. Well, the, that's a good, well, but it's good. Yeah, well, it's, it's, good. it's really good, but, but still, but this man charted every single single on his album. How does that, how does that fucking make hey, any look, sense? Uh, you know, Power Noise Band, Swans, yeah. from yeah. New York City. Right. Like, we're in the Billboard Top 10 for their last record. Right. right. How uh, the F does that? <laughs> well, and like, that, because, that gets back because into, we've gotten rid of like the magic. Because the sales model doesn't. Right. It doesn't exist, but yeah, it also but, gets back into like the, the accessibility of it and everything. And you but, know, like you would not have heard. Well, of, it's because Billboard was measuring, you know, volume by absolutely. By, yeah, by, yeah, 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 but yeah. but to me, Album like unit. to me, when you have something like that happen, that's disassociating yourself away from like the the truly magical singles, the singles that require like you mm. know the alchemy to you know what I'm telling you. Right I'm saying room. like go, you guys go full on with that. Just do it. Go go all the way there. You know, that, that is where precisely when shoots of grass break out of the concrete. Oh, no, right. I agree. That's where, but, but like, that's but, where it happens. But watching, right. that's watching, where the shadow industry starts. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this thing happen and watching this, this, this wall to me, it's like a wall. And we're, we're running at a hundred million miles an hour into this wall. And it's fascinating to just watch all of this data and music and creation just occur at this, you know, ridiculous rate. And then we're going, bam. And and I, I just hope that somebody who can sing is standing there, waiting for this <laughs> right, right well, to well, and that, right. that actually sort of gets around to, uh, or, or back to like sort of the I think the one of the main points of Future Music Coalition 
is you know we're talking about big artists and then the big yeah, thing and, and in, right. in the actual music industry but people whether or not you admit it or not if you're an artist like you don't go into it simply just say i want somebody to hear my art mm-hmm. like you it, everybody wants to like make a living off of this so how do like how do you guys advocate i guess for smaller artists to like combat this giant monolith of i'm gonna tell you like i mean you know i i have some experience with a bunch of weird industries uh in entertainment outside of music and you know recently got to learn a lot about book publishing and yeah it's really it's kind of depressing on a lot of levels because yeah you know there's not a lot of labels in the in in most of them throughout music history essentially have been risk aggregators yeah and um and you know, because of the pressures of, of this marketplace, uh, you could call it piracy. You could t- call it a lot of noise. You could call it many, de- uh, you know, decreased value. You could call it call it the, uh, you know, the speed of culture uh, of connected mm-hmm. culture. You know, there's a lot of lot of things that, that might factor in. But at the end of the day, what it means is that you know the companies that could actually put upfront investment capital to sustain careers where you don't have to have a day job yeah. uh, are much more conservative. Yeah. And there's, yes. and, and the folks who are inclined to be, you know, to actually appreciate the art for what it is. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist at those big companies. I think it does. Yeah, no, 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 uh, it, it, it does. It does. Sure. But, uh, but uh, it just means that, you know, in order to, in order to pull off the hat trick that allows them to stay in business, yeah. you know, they, they fundamentally have to know a few different things. They have to understand what the market is. They have to understand the market size. They mm-hmm. have to understand the return on the, their investment for the for the upfront capital they're going to put in. And they have to do that a lot. And they have to do, you know, and if you're doing that at scale, I mean, it makes you conservative. Yeah. And the, and, and, the, and when you get down to the lower level, it just means there's, there's less money to go around. Yeah. So the idea is like, sure, we all can, uh, we all can like approach this marketplace and say it's a wonderful thing to have access to audiences and and have no economic ambitions whatsoever. Right. Or, you know, we have to actually make some choices about what's going to be sustainable in terms right. of, you know, allowing us to to pursue art, like, you know, more than just a hobby. That's the difficult thing. It, it's a very difficult thing. And, like, that, and that, the, that is the, the, but what do you say to the artist who is, is sees, um, and, and this gets into an understanding of market share. You and I definitely talked a lot about yeah, this. I'll, yeah, I, I know where you're going. You know, so, yeah. um, when you see an artist who is, their market share is very small. Like, just pick any local artist mm-hmm. in D.C. who's playing house shows. Mm-hmm. is very small. And they're keeping their music, say, off of streaming services because they don't Think want it's a raw deal or something. Be, yeah. Think they're getting a raw deal. Like, I, I guess, like, it's a question that I think about a lot like how do you educate people to be because it is hard to like you you see somebody doing this and you want you're like i want you to make it i want Mm -hmm. you to make this money but the reality is you might only make this much money you know to be perfectly honest with you uh there's an entire our research has shown into like artist revenue streams has shown if it's shown anything conclusively it's shown that musicians and composers are highly diverse and incredibly specialized absolutely mm-hmm. there's an amazing backline of folks that we're not even talking about we're, mm-hmm. we're like the entire conversation is almost like we, we we immediately went to folks who either could you know 
garner attention and capture a significant amount of it, yeah. attention in the popular marketplace. Yeah. Or the assumption is, you know, tour till the wheels come off. Yeah. There's an entire backline of people that are that are actually not necessarily like that's not their thing, but they're incredibly value valuable to music. Well, songwriters and uh, songwriters, vocational songwriters, vocational for songwriters, example, yeah. um, you know, would be would be some of that. Uh, and and there are also genres that, like, frankly, just you know, there's no way that like avant garde scrunk jazz from downtown, you know, Manhattan is going to actually scale. It's not going to just it's just right. not going to happen. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> and and the previous apparatus wasn't necessarily great shakes for that, but the 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 you know, the margins were a bit higher and, you know, the ability for a company that was Right, because if, if you could get the A&R guys here, you could at least do one album. You know, there's a market Maybe. for it or yeah. there's a dedicated market for it. Yeah. A label will have like a division that, that, that services that market and in the aggregate, you know, when they're sort of like looking at what their risk is, it's 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 not a bad deal. You know, the, the problem with American music and, and, and uh, the recorded music industry is that Risk aggregation also gets really, really ugly. Um, mm. There wasn't an, a federal copyright in sound recordings until 1972. Most people don't know that. Yeah. The labels actually didn't enjoy a copyright. Uh, you know, they basically just sold uh, the vessel. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the that the recorded music was contained in. So, and but they felt entitled. Like publishers were able to get paid for a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the labels would, you know, kind of have publishing divisions or. And so essentially it was a, kind of like a, a, a racial thing, man, in the, in, in yeah. the Lebowski parlance, you know, <laughs> like, a, you know, if, a, if, a, if an R&B artist or, or whatever signed with a, a label, they'll like take your publishing. Yeah. yeah. And that's how they, you know, you they sort in. of made up their, yeah. th that's how they padded their, their bottom line. Right. But for today, for today's artists where the expectation is you don't even get the opportunity to sign your life away. Right. I mean, come on. And so like, if and the that, if that, that seems to be the big divide though, is like, <gasps> you don't get that opportunity, but you do have the uh, technology and everything to, to be your own thing. So the house band in DC, I mean, I, I Sorry, I'm just no, talking. No, yeah. You already know the house band. The, the <laughs> yeah. house band in DC has basically has two two choices, three really. How do I grow my local audience and make this into a real like art right. phenomenon? Like, how do I create like, and that's that's rad. I mean, dude, culture, it, it is like it's... industries have been rocked by 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 art phenomenons that yeah. have happened mm. out of, out of just like the coolness of proximity, presence, and and great yeah for sure great expression. Yeah, yeah, I have a real belief on this uh, that like I I, I want to like you know advocate for. Um, it's real life applications for artistic work. All right. And I think that for like smaller bands to understand like real life applications for the work that they do, you know, if you like, you know, are a session musician teaching your art to other people yeah, is, a, is a, is a, is a, is a knowledge route. of craft. Yeah, yeah. Knowledge of craft. And then also if you have access to creating a house venue so that you can, you know, control costs. Doing that is necessary. Like becoming becoming extraordinarily DIY with your yeah, craft, self-contained, modest scale. Exactly yeah. right. Very much to scale. Very much modest, and understanding how to then. But, but is that use really the, is well, that really going DIY, or is it just having a broader scope? That, no, I guess that's, okay. For, so for yeah. people to understand it, you need to tell people that it's DIY okay, because yeah, people okay. are not going to get it if I just yep, you know throw these terms at them. But if you say to them, embrace a DIY model, and to embrace something that is scalable. And understandable and making sure that people get that because we we tell artists to just create but there needs to be the moment where you explain create yeah. but also build 
a sustainable box around yourself. That's why initially. for 15 years we were basically saying like even with this internet thing happening and Lord knows we get pulled into that tar pit all the time. Mm, yes, you do. But uh but but you know we we've also like done the deeply unsexy things which is making sure that there are actually resources for those local communities. Yeah, but uh, we have to yeah. we have well, we have to like push those now. Like this is the mm-hmm. time to push them. Like we no doubt. we we leave them out there for people no like, well, if you ever need this, go and do it. This is the point where you give the person the kit yes. when the person says, right. "I want to make a yeah. song." Before you go anywhere near Ableton or picking up your guitar or learning how to play that drum, here's this kit. Do this. You know, it's really funny, Marcus. <laughs> like, uh, like our organization actually was born out of like uh, – so J- Jenny Toomey and Kristen Thompson were in a local band called Tsunami. They also right. ran mm-hmm. a, a label called Simple Machines here in D.C. Yeah. Uh, before the internet even happened uh, really in any real way, um, they created something called like a like a publication called the Mechanic Guide to putting out a uh, independent record. Exactly, putting out a record. Yeah, and, and this is like a one of those like you know send a self addressed envelope to, yeah. and we will literally mail you the yeah. photocopied zine about how to you know put your seven inch single in stores. Right, you yeah. know, like on um, consignment or whatever yeah. the hell. But like take you right through the process yeah. from from like you know recording it to getting it pressed or whatever. It was called the zine that you know or the or the. Um, the guide that launched a thousand record labels. I still know dudes in the independent label scene right. that, are, that actually literally started their businesses mm-hmm. because of the information. Because that sometimes contained. it takes that little push of information. If you if you are if you love, I think sitting around playing guitar. That's what you'd want to do, that's, and you want to make the best song, or you want to write it, whatever you want to do. Like, you don't want to think about that, and it, it breaks my heart for a lot of but people. You, you, you have, have to. to now. <laughs> like, there's but no like, other option. I had a very frank uh, conversation. This was two weeks ago. A uh, local band called Brenda in here, and sitting down talking with them, and you know, talking with uh, Dave Lester, actually, the main guy. He was like, "Yeah, you know what? We we don't put everything into it to like do this full time, and we understand that." And they're very. It's okay too, it is okay. It is yeah. okay. But they're the point is that they're very aware of the like realities of uh, of being in a band and, and the economics of it and how you can make a living out of it. And so rather than just being like, well, I did this thing and now expect the the sort of expectation, right? And now I yeah. should be. It's going to happen for you. And then I'm getting angry because yeah. it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is like, you know, trust me, I live this every single day. Like, I think a lot of what I do is hacking the knowledge base of not just the music industry, but the federal policy apparatus and, yeah. and the courts, yeah. Yeah. and trying to translate that and make it available to people like musicians and their and their and their teams. But the thing is, you know, all we can do is like show you where the rung is you still actually have to lift up your arm yeah and, you know try to try to grab the yeah. damn thing and uh we'll give you a boost but you know this is a tiny little janky non-profit you know there's you know it would be really crazy if the recorded music industry had actually decided that it was going to put any investment in actually expanding the knowledge base so people could do things in their communities but it chose not to yeah, no. yeah. to tell you the truth it still chooses not to no and, and i and i and to be frank i don't think it ever will Mm-mm. because you you want you want to encourage a market where everybody can be a winner because then when right. you have a mil- when you have when you have 99 losers and one winner mm-hmm. then that creates ambition mm-hmm. and ambition drives every economy that's the yeah. whole point of capitalism 
Well, you know, look, yeah. uh, you, and I'm not going to get into some sort of beef about late late capitalism or whatever, but yeah. like to kind of get back to Kevin's, uh, you know, question or prompt, it's like, what would you tell that local band that's yeah. playing, playing in their house? And so Marcus has got really totally, you got it dialed in. That's exactly the toolkit that I think folks actually need to be yeah. prepped with to actually have realistic expectations and also understand, you know, the, the potential of of uh you know community building and actual the the positive economic right you know yeah, yeah. result from that it, right. it, there it does exist i mean exactly. you know, local businesses uh you know do exist this is this is cottage enterprise the other side of that is you know do you actually understand how this business works so if you chose mm. to for example you know put your music out there somehow somewhere anyway do you mm. know where that compensates you and why right and under what conditions. And so you can make informed choices. And I'm not going to, I didn't come here to say those fools for not putting their music on Spotify. No, absolutely not. No. Through TuneCore. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. You know, I'm suggesting that were you to make that decision, you could make an informed decision and say, at this point, it makes more sense for me to play local shows, develop my local audience, right. hang a shingle on Bandcamp, send people to that and see what I can cultivate. Or it might make sense for me to, you know, I have a very exciting sort of visual presentation or YouTube has 8 billion eyeballs or my genre is is very exciting to this community, SoundCloud, as it was yeah, developing yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but underneath that, you, ha you have a laundry list of choices that you can make. You can say, I'm doing this for, for potential audience building, knowing that aggregated micro pennies might actually never recruit anything really meaningful. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and that there could be an actual substitution if, you know, for higher margin commerce, if that takes off. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, uh, you know, I don't really care about that. I'm going to go where the eyeballs are. And, and that's interesting. Um, Although you have to still understand yeah. how stuff works in order to make those choices. Yeah. Like when I'm when I'm doing my Berkeley courses in, in music licensing, basically like I'm getting people who are actually like a lot of them pretty specified and also quite accomplished. It, mm -hmm. It's shocking. So like there a lot of them come to this to just tighten up their golf swing. And, you know, there are people that are like, oh, I don't know how it works. I heard it was something to learn. Uh, and, and they're great. Oh, gee, golly gosh. And, and, they're, and they're, there I am again. And, and you're like, well, you give me $25,000 first off. But then, then they come out the other side of it. And like the cool thing is like, you know, they hopefully will be yeah. equipped to, to actually. Although I think that there's a value to failure in the music industry. For sure. Totally. I really think that there's a value to like extraordinarily failure and failing well. Um, Wiz Khalifa is one of my favorite artists because Wiz Khalifa failed extraordinarily to a mm -hmm. degree where it's like he signed a major label deal straight out of like you know pittsburgh and mm -hmm. failed and yeah. then he went back and he's like okay well i'm gonna build the scale that build the scale lot. yeah build the scale and then like when the major label was like well we want to sign you he's like well obviously you guys like distribute, distribute my music yeah we'll do it so it is like scale 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 and then when it's right and when you feel the time is right for you to explode whatever that looks like because for Wiz, it was like, I just need people to distribute my music because mm -hmm. I already have a sustainable, independent fan base. Right. I just need to expand my fan base every so often mm -hmm. when I put out a big, giant album. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I'm good with this scale model that, that I have. That happens a ton. That happens a yeah. lot. That's like the, and I don't know if it's a myth, uh, 
but you call it an urban legend the the, the idea of the, the thousand fan model if you have a thousand fans willing to support you like you, you can do stuff like that and you're yeah. like i've got mine and then i can actually you know i have drawn this heat to me yeah because i'm bringing out of all in. the bullshit myths that's actually not bullshit the yeah. trick is actually trying to get those folks to, to reliably and then, then know, a thousand reliable yeah, uh, yeah, reliable. yeah like preface the, that with reliable uh and there's like you know new kind of things that have come along like as crowdfunding matures from just being like a one-time uh, project boost and a lot of broken hearts and some and and some successes to being like folks you know mechanisms where you can actually subscribe to yeah, a, a, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we actually mentioned uh, kingsley flood earlier and, and they're they're finishing up a year-long pledge music drive uh mm-hmm. to support them in the making of a new album they mm-hmm. put out two e- the second EP will be coming out. They're going to have an album at the end of the time. You know, and what's weird about that too, though, is I hear a lot of artists that are either scared by that notion uh, or uh, em- embarrassed to crowdfund and stuff, which doesn't. There's a little bit of embarrassment because like part of it, like, you know, that's gone away because there's a lot of bands that are actually quite established with fan bases that people remember and, and still care about. Yeah. And, and even artists that are, you know, I would consider to be viable just on their own terms yeah. that will still use that as a tool in their toolkit, uh, an arrow uh, in their quiver. Like De La Soul, they released their next, their new album. Just Yeah. I mean, like, like if I, money. if I like a band, I'm giving you money. Yeah, I, I don't care how you set it up. Now yeah. the, the, the thing is like setting it up is just basically like there's some challenges to that. Like, are you, are you raising money for that product? What are you going to price that at? Yeah. And what are the, you know, if I see one more signed kick drum on like a <laughs> incentive, like, I don't want a signed kick drum, dude. But there is somebody who does. No, actually, there's not. So, okay. So what what I'm saying because, is because like, what if you got the signed kick drum the last time? Because now we're at that uh, point where you're okay. Yeah, doing it's this. mature. Yeah. So what right. I'm saying is like you know it does put a premium on like knowing uh, like how creative you can be with those incentives which right. does come with a you know if you're trying to make a damn record you know like right. that's kind of that's a certain amount of creative uh, energy that you have to put to coming up with those incentives and fulfilling them and also the, the idea that everybody's kind of like you know you have to know your fan base pretty well to know what they might be incentivized by now the thing that i think is interesting more interesting than potentially than just the hey i'm trying to fund this project to accomplish this one goal this one right, time right, and i'll right. be back at you later right which actually does create a certain amount of fatigue sure i think uh uh the idea that once somebody is hooked like what can you do to get them to continue to reinvest over the long term which right. is more of like a like a patronage model patreon yeah. does it bandcamp just switched yes. it on yeah then, oh bandcamp did mm-hmm. yeah oh shit mm-hmm. so you can actually subscribe yeah. to an artist no. now that kind of creates a different thing but actually if you get down to the incentive in you know in the constitution that provides for the laws that we yeah. call copyright. Yeah, yeah. It's an incentive to actually produce new and new stuff. So right. the, the, it's not a you know it's not a set it and forget it thing. And this well, actually then, then no, it gets in the hard marketplace yeah. like yeah. decided like what you're worth because mm. you can do that and be like yeah, yeah. Poor no 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 it's cool it's cool it's all good. No, I just I was thinking because it's like the thing that gets me the most intrigued about this is when you look at like the industry disruptor model of like dropping albums whenever now. Mm-hmm. Because to mm-hmm. me, that's the easiest way to keep a fan engaged. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's look, to, over it's here. to surprise wow. them. Like, you know, it's just the Johnny Cochran, you know, from South Park. Mm-hmm. You know, look over this here. Is you know? plea, <laughs> right. This is a plea to Frank Ocean right now. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Because <laughs> we know Frank Ocean is going to release an album. Right. We just And all of his fans are like engaged and they're like, when is it going to happen? And then when it happens, it's like, yay. It's the same thing with Drake and numerous mm-hmm. other artists. I'm expecting this to expand across numerous other genres. Like, 
where in order to keep your fans engaged, you literally are surprising them all the time. Of course, that's going to lead to fatigue eventually too. Labels hate that because really what they want right. is like they want replicability and predictability. Right, but they but they but but the labels ultimately have to just deal with the artist now. For the ones that actually do command, you know, audiences that right, right. but know. but every but to me, every artist now is going to believe that they could do this. I know. Because... I'm gonna put out an album tomorrow. Look out! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then right, what? like <laughs> Goldlink, who's from DC, did that, and he's like a, an artist that like the industry wants to believe is going to win. Right. Whether he's going to win, I don't know, mm-hmm. but the industry likes to believe that Goldlink is a thing, and we're gonna make him win. They he has the the planned unplanned album drop on November 17th. And he even had a PR campaign to tell you that he alerted his fan base to the fact that he was going to have a surprise album drop on November 17th. That's so uh, meta. <laughs> and, yeah. was, and it was like, I was like mind-bended. It's like I was a like, fun house mirror. It was like, okay, so he dropped this randomly on Instagram and then we have to go backwards and tell the story. So, <laughs> yeah. The, the mainstream media industry <laughs> want, 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 want predictability and that's what windowing and, and release schedules yeah. are all about it's like even more profound in the uh in the uh film industry it's like yeah. mm-hmm. why don't you have a same date you know same day same date you know strategy it's because yeah. well they have very sophisticated and long running sort of staged release campaigns right, right. It's, it's just yeah but that but they could have made 50 bucks off us just watching the martian this past weekend like today yeah yeah, yeah exactly. like, like it was daria's like one thing she's like uh, it's shitty out. I want to stay in and watch The Martian. I don't want to go out. Yeah, but that, but I mean, it's like, um, what was that? Uh, that we were just talking about films. The, uh, the, 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 the North Korean movie. Uh, the, the interview. The, the interview. interview. Yeah, the interview, yeah. which had a surprise drop. Which had a, <laughs> it did. It was very It forcefully kind of like, but I mean, it's, it's literally like another surprise well, drop. And it like, you know, like leaked virally to numerous, you know, outlets. And it's the same thing like with the music industry. You know, I was like, when, it, when that happened, I laughed because I was like, oh, it's you know, Dante's me- album. But the right, music version. Right. The, the thing with music is though that like the time investment that it takes to listen to a song or even an album, if you mm-hmm. can, if anybody even does that you yeah. know, back to front anymore, like is so much less than the investment that it takes to watch a television show, serialized television show or, or motion picture. And that gets back into kind of what I was saying about mind share. It's just that fundamentally this is a different, this is a different form of art. Yeah. And so even if you're trying to figure out what it's worth in a marketplace, it doesn't really, but like a good album can affect you in the same way that a good, like a really good television show. I mean, there there is, there is, is my five-year-old going to know what a good album is? No, it's it's not. I mean, I guess that's, that's the difference is because the medium's hit in different ways, but uh, you know, certainly there's a lot of like music you listen to just to, unplugged to turn off and you want it and I hate to say background music because that marginalizes it but there's also the same thing as TV you sit in front yeah, of it lean back yeah. I mean actually you know um, that I, I think we almost lost a, a thread a ways back when we were talking about you know that huge marketplace that's just going to listen to Toby Keith and that's right. fine there's a lean back audience and I think the music mm-hmm. industry uh, the label uh, major label folks don't really understand that even in the old days, like, look, they never got paid for terrestrial radio play. They just never did. Yeah. Like, it's not in sure, the, sure. the law, like, uh, allows for uh, uh, FM radio to be uh, 
exempted from paying a royalty. They yeah. paid uh, publishers and songwriters. And now you have somebody like Pandora like, and, trying and to the, jump the law. And, uh, yeah. well, well, actually, no. Uh, digital services do pay. Uh, well, they do pay, but they, they just bought a terrestrial. You know, uh, they're trying to lower rates, potentially. Right. But but that's like... That, that was such a cheap move. Uh, Pandora, to be frank. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, North yeah, Dakota. Yeah, like, I don't want to get into that. Yeah, but, 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 but the thing is, like, the... And yes, it totally was. I mean, there's a bunch of crazy... <laughs> It's 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 like it's like lawfare out right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but basically, like you know, terrestrial radio never paid performers, uh, recording artists, and uh, and and labels at all. And for all of those years when it was kind of the only way to get exposed to music, mm-hmm. it worked pretty well because a certain percentage of those listeners would be motivated to go to the record store and right. buy a high margin you know, transactional unit based. <laughs> not, not only that, it was built on the fact that like everybody had a radio in their car. Free. And that, 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 that was, free that was the thing. It, it was still like, is. It still, it still is. is. That's still kind of what's driving it. But the thing is, there's a, what I'm saying is there's a chunk of that audience that never, ever went to the record store Yeah. Uh, for whom radio was good enough. Yeah. Like, and I actually believe that even in this marketplace, no matter if we're talking about, digital music, uh, algorithmic curation, playlist-based music, uh, you know, on-demand is only going to be, on-demand streaming music mm-hmm. is only going to be, I don't know how big it gets. It's not going to be the big, it might not be the biggest thing, dude. You don't think so? No, because there's a, the lean-back audience is always larger. It's a, to me The it's audience a, that doesn't want to drive. Yeah. Hell, okay. I'm highly motivated, uh, and sometimes I don't want to uh, drive. I look at it like this. Um, you do that 1090 is the first one. Then in that 10%, there's like a, of, of that music that, you know, people, all the people here in that lean back audience, there's like a 60-40. So like 60% of those people are going to be radio people no matter, until the day, until the, the, the end of the earth. And then the 40, there's 40% of people who are going to give, honestly give streaming a try. Because there's no other way that they know how to engage with music because they can't go to the record store. Because they know now that they can't go to the record store. Even if streaming, but buy. even if streaming is radio, what I'm saying is like Pandora is still lean back. It doesn't matter. No, what I'm saying that's like yeah, that's yeah, a that's yeah. 60%. It doesn't matter if, if a computer's making yeah, yeah, a decision. Yeah, yeah. Or, right, 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 But to right, me, that's right. that sixty percent of people that radio will be everything. They will Always, never, forever. They will never the look at Spotify. They will never yeah. look at iTunes. They will never no. look at any of that. They didn't buy records in 1977. They're not no. going to yeah. buy them now. Maybe they bought Frampton Comes Alive and Rumors. Of course they did. <clears throat> you know, and that's really? actually, and I, I don't think, maybe Future Music Coalition gets into this, that's actually my bleeding heart fear, is that that audience is fed by stuff yes. that, that, that is fed by stuff that That was that, ours like, too, dude. That yeah, people, that people know, like, okay, they're going to they're gonna eat this, so we're going to feed it to Closed them. Circuit. And we're going to do it. And then eventually... Somebody's gonna pick up their laptop or the guitar and emulate. Have you listened to the Weekends album? Yes, he's a radio artist. I know. Purely made for radio. I, I he has a song know. that sounds like Michael like, Jackson. You and I, you and I both. Know. <laughs> they they you and I both sound know. like Michael yeah, Jackson. Yeah, right. That's the point, though, because <laughs> what person that listens to the radio doesn't like to listen to Michael Jackson all the time? <laughs> but that was Michael Jackson, and that was fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not this guy honestly well, okay. i fall squarely within like that right but you know what i mean there are i people... listen to michael jackson all the time right i'll sign up for that yeah and that's why you listen to the weekend's album and you're like and everything about him every anything that he's singing about drifts away because you hear the voice and you're like like i can't feel my face because i'm with you a song that is about cocaine usage was number one in the world 
I mean, yeah. I consider that yeah. just a triumph of society. Yeah, yeah. you know, it isn't even that. It's the fact that the man sonically sounds like Michael Jackson that right. made it number yeah. one. Nobody cared what the song was no. about. And even when we told them <laughs> that the song is about cocaine use, nope, everybody said, uh-huh, turn it up. Well, okay, so to get back to the idea that after a while, and this gets down to things like, uh, you know, uh, media ownership. Yeah. It gets down to things like, you know, who gets to put a price point on culture. It gets down to things like who can actually access, uh, you know, uh, broadcast medium and media and, and who has an opportunity to actually have their, you know, local creative aesthetic cultural values reflected back to their community yeah. and under what conditions. So you're absolutely right. Um, that lean back audience, the fear is the machine, you know, the feed the beast mechanism is just like, right. that's popular, more of that, that's popular, more of that. And that just happens. And then sort of like that massive part of that, the, the audience that doesn't, hasn't really developed the interest or the agency yeah. is only exposed to that. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then even the percentage that actually are mm. like, I'm going to go over here because I like that album and listen to it. They're only listening to that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and, and I mean, to be clear, like, you know, so it's a what you of... appreciate is completely subjective. It, it, it's fine. Yeah, and that's fine. I'm I'm what you like, what you like. It's anybody. like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, like we just talked about Taylor Swift's uh, 1989 and yes, Ryan Adams, yeah. 1989. Paul fucking hated. I wish you had been here. No, 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 <laughs> no. I I hate it too because it's funny. Can what, I do this what, podcast what every time? Yes, uh, absolutely. No, what we're talking about is funny because Ryan Adams literally recorded a radio album. He re-recorded. Not only that, it was his best album. You want to know something even yeah, cooler than that? What? I'll tell you. Taylor Swift uh, yanked her music from Spotify, which only she can do, by the way, because, yeah. you know, uh, Big Machine Records is a family business. Exactly, right. Uh, like, um, you know, Radiohead can't do that with the with their capital catalog. No. Uh, of course not. Capital? Well, oh, they're no, not the anymore. But, but their capital catalog. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. But so so anyway, like even even most even musicians, big musicians that might have a beef for whatever reason with that. You know, or might not be in the position to, to like Bjork can't pull her back catalog from no, those right. services. She's just like, right. well, you know, I just don't like it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Uh, but anyway, my point is, Taylor Swift pulls pulls that catalog from Spotify. Okay, that's that that that's fine. Uh, and I probably do believe her. But the interesting thing about it is when Ryan Adams records 1989 and puts it up on Spotify. She gets paid the mechanical yep. royalty and she the knows. performance royalty later yeah. uh, royalty on the songwriting side, both yeah. mechanical and performance. She knows. Well, she knows. She might not know. No, I'm sure she knows. She probably does. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that she. I'm not like I, that. Sound no, but there's like, a, no. It's not even that. It's to me that's that's the crazy weird. part of it. No, it's not weird. It, it, it's it's a proof that a sucker is born every minute. I'm going to tell you another really secret, terrible thing. And I hate, there is no percentage in me saying like, Taylor, when somebody What's like- What's in the trunk, Casey? Taylor Swift is- <laughs> there, there is no percentage for, for a guy like me who's like, you know, here to like, you know, advance the artist's interest to say right. like, when Taylor Swift says- I believe that music isn't property properly valued on on digital service providers, and and here's why. And this is what I'm going to do to inspire people to consider, you know, their their yeah. you know their their choices in this marketplace. Mm -hmm. Like, great. I actually totally support that. I'll tell you a little story. Okay. Terrestrial radio, FM radio, under law, does not have to pay performing artists, recording artists, or, or labels for anything that they play on the radio. Yeah. Every other developed nation on the planet Earth 
does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ex- notable exceptions include North Korea and Iran. So it's like kind of like the United States, North Korea, and Iran. Now, granted, FM radio in the United States plays like five ar- artists per category, yes. so whatever. Right. Uh, but, you know... Four if you discount Nickelback. Think exactly. about the lack of reciprocal rights, or as we call them in the industry, neighboring rights. Um, the lack of neighboring rights means that, you know, basically... American artists are not able to collect on on money owed to them from overseas plays. It just goes into a oh, yeah. black box. Yeah. And, you know, historically, that that's an incredible injustice. I mean, there's countless R&B artists, uh, uh, jazz artists who are beloved the world over that have been played on, on broadcast radio the world over who are not the songwriter, uh, so therefore they cannot connect, collect any royalty from any of those plays. Yeah. At some point, this is just fundamentally a global imbalance of trade. Yeah. Now... Off getting off the soap, soapbox and back to you know the delightful Miss Swift, uh, Big Machine Records, which is her label, entered into a private deal with Clear Channel. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. To be compensated for over-the-air plays of Miss Swift and other Big Machine artists' uh, 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 recordings, and um, nobody really knows what. The terms of the deals were because they're under non-disclosure yeah. agreements. But the rumor is that basically, the Clear Channel said we'll give you a percentage of our our revenue, uh, o- you know, overall for the o- for the the broadcast, the FM broadcast. But we want lower streaming rates because you know the Clear yeah. Channel aren't idiots yeah. and they know where that's going. Right. Yeah. So Taylor Swift the the grand defender of, of artist interests or whatever, basically created conditions where it's like, nobody else is part of that deal. I can't go to clear channel and strike the same deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like Irving Azoff did for the, for the Eagles like, yeah, right. and, and Fleetwood Mac good yeah. for him. Uh, but like nobody else really can actually get to the negotiating well, table. Geez. But here's the thing. When rates are set for me and everybody else at the copyright royalty board for the webcasting rates, guess what's presented as evidence as a, as a, as a, uh, as the um, as the market rate, right? Yeah, the deal that yeah. To me, to me, it's the thing with Taylor's in this marketplace. Everybody's afraid of being number one because nobody wants to be the asshole in the room. But then Taylor Swift walked in and was like, "I, me, Taylor Swift <laughs> will be the asshole in the but room." But she's not being the asshole. No, but she is though because she's number one. She's literally able to access those rates and access that money that's at the very top. There was a giant pool of money at the very top of the music industry that everybody, because we lied and told them, okay, well, like, you know, streaming is where, where the money is. And there's all these ways that we're cutting down all your income. There's a giant pool of money sitting at the top of the industry. And everybody knew that it was there. But everybody was like, oh, we, well, we can't get that. We can't get that. And Taylor Swift's like, no, I get that. screw it. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and then once she gets there, the fucked up part of the whole thing is that she turns around to everybody and goes, meh, but I like you guys. You guys are all my friends. Yeah, but the weird the, the weirdest thing to me is like basically like, you know, saying like, you know, there's a moral cause, like I'm not gonna be on Spotify, blah, 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 blah. Right. But like on on street <laughs> on streaming radio, it's like we're gonna take this deal that ultimately is going to affect all of you as a class, yes. potentially right. yeah. in in a government rate setting. Yeah. And that's in, that that's like that story does not get told. And I'm not like necessarily here to tell that story. No. Mm-hmm. But like when people are like, oh, Taylor Swift's the, you know, the sort of grand, uh, you know, defender of 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 artists, I'm like, she's kinda like the Mary, Marie Antoinette of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me. To me, she's the one that woke up and decided one day, I'm going to win. 
because I know that, you know, my, my team has told me that there's a lot of money just at the very, very top of this thing that nobody's accessing. Listen, I, you know, there's a whole story behind her, her you know, there's yeah. a whole story about her, yeah. uh, you know, entrance into Nashville. There's a whole story about like a lot of things. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say born on third base, blah, 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 whatever. But like, you know, there's people who are able to accomplish things in this industry that other people can't uh, right out of the gate. And that's fine. I don't actually have a problem with that. What I have a problem with if I do have a problem at all, and I'm not even, not even copying to it, is when folks position themselves as defenders of all musicians and right. creators. But, but hey, yeah. they get to perform with her on stage at their at her concerts. Hey, now. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, Isn't that nice? That's that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I, say well, all, I say all of this tongue-in-cheek, of course. I'm actually not 100% sure that she, she understands. Like, like... I'm not saying that she's not brilliant and smart and really dialed in and stuff, but mm. I think she's really smart and dialed into, you know, her brand, you know, essentially, and, right. and also like really understanding intuitively what is going to be good choices for her to make aesthetically, musically, and otherwise. Yeah. Probably she also does understand the business and probably does have really real feelings about the I value think, of I music. I think all she actually really needed to understand was the PR move. That, I mean, that was a brilliant yeah. PR move. Mm-hmm. But the but but when when other things happen, like deals are cut and and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that like. She's not I in mean, the room. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know? She just knows that she's getting a, a, a giant percentage of the pie. Like, what would it be like? Would Could somebody, you know, what would happen if somebody explained that to her? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that she would still just be concerned about her giant percentage in, of the pie. Invite her to the future music conference. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing that right now. <laughs> um, well, ge- gentlemen, we are, last week we set a record. For length, we are ra- we are rapidly approaching that, right. well, I, I, and I feel yeah. like we could actually do this for a couple. I haven't more even hours. told anybody when this conference is. You better do it in the. No, no, that's what I was saying. So, so what we're gonna do? Give us the details in the conference, and we're, and we're gonna put all the links in the show notes. So yeah, hit yeah. it. All right, all right, all right, all right. When is it? Uh October twenty sixth <laughs> and twenty seventh, Georgetown University, Washington D.C., the Future of Music Policy Summit. This mm-hmm. is our fifteenth. Indeed. One. So uh, 15, 15 years. Mm-hmm. This is our 15th birthday. Uh, here's another exciting thing for people, uh, particularly uh, musicians, to understand. Two days of like amazing access to amazing people who are talking about this stuff, you know, who are far more credible than me. Yeah. Uh, musician scholarships available. Yeah. $25 covers two days. Of this amazing experience, and trust me, I go around because people invite me to all these conferences, and I and and I show up, and I don't have to pay for the damn things. But every once in a while, when I look at the sticker price, I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Right. Like, how are musicians actually ever supposed to understand even like what you know the fancy pants bastards talking about their business are are you know doing unless they have entree to those conversations? Well, you know, for 15 years we've been creating. The space for that to happen. So, who, who are some of the panelists this year? Oh man, we got like all kinds of crazy ass bastards coming in. I know Merrill's. Yeah, Mer- Merrill Garbus uh, Tune Yards is 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 there. Like a lot of really cool label folks too, like Porsche Saban from Kill Rock Stars, Darius uh, Van Armen uh, from Jag Jaguar uh, Secretly Group. Um, ton of folks uh, in uh, in the manager space as well. Um, we have a managers panel. We got. Uh, you know, Lumineers manager. We've got, um, oh God, now you put me on the spot. That, that guy knows the secrets of the universe. There's like a lot of people that, <laughs> this is a place where the secrets of the universe yeah, yeah. like are actually revealed. No, totally. Yeah. I learned about Spotify years before Spotify was a thing in America at Future Music. 
That's right, 2009. Wow. Danny, exactly. I interviewed him on stage. Two bald guys talking to each other. Yep. One Swedish. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant. It's yeah. basically that. <laughs> right. If I had only known now, <laughs> I would have asked him maybe yeah. some different questions. Exactly. But yeah, so this is this is really that that opportunity. There's also really fun networking events. Uh, you know, we've got um, a fun concert on Monday night after day one of programming. Uh, DJ Merrill Garbus is is going to be there, and some Ooh. really other exciting people Sweet. playing music. Uh, Gypsy Sally's uh, right on the Georgetown campus, and then on Tuesday night we do a really fun thing with NPR Music. Bob Boylan comes and does the All Songs Considered party, which basically is like a bunch of people kind of, well, me essentially getting drunk, and uh, <laughs> and, and and they play a bunch of music and they yeah. ask us to, I don't know. This is where they sort of rate it or yeah, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, hold up. Yeah, anyway, it's yeah, really yeah. funny and yeah, incredibly yeah. hilarious. Uh, and in between, you're going to get just like basically all of the knowledge that your mind can possibly hope to contain about the the music industry from many, many different sides. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. So, I'll be there. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work out my schedule, but hopefully Sweet. I'll be there too. Uh, Casey, so, thank you so much for thank coming you, out. Thank you. Uh, you have a mic available to you at any time. Anytime you I'm going to show up. Like, do you do this on a regular? They like, do it every Thursday. Sometimes we talk about real shit. Sometimes we just talk about albums and drink right. whiskey. So, this is uh, now a thing. Uh, and Marcus, make, don't make it like a month or two. I, I, I hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I will, I will we be around. We were at the same festival. I know, man. I know. All right, uh, thank you guys, and uh, we'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks again to uh, Casey Ray and uh, Mark Stalling for taking some time to hang out here and uh, try to solve, I think, one of the biggest problems facing the music industry, or at least some of them. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. More importantly, I hope you learned a lot from it. I know uh, I actually did. It's nice when uh, you can just sort of let it go and let the conversation you know, sort of take over. And, uh, you know, I think it was a pretty large information dump, but there is a lot more uh, to talk about. So I, I, I think it's fairly certain you're going to be seeing Casey or hearing him on this podcast sometime down the road. Uh, for now, though, uh, you've got this, and uh, if you are moved to action by anything that you hear here, uh, you are in luck because on the 26th and 27th of this month, the Future Music Coalition's uh, annual conference is taking place up in Georgetown. Um, this is the 15th year they've been doing it, and it is the the list of speakers is is basically it, it's great. It's t- too many to list here, but it, like I said, we're going to have it in the show notes. Uh, I am. Sp- Particularly looking forward to Meryl Garbus, um, who is an amazing uh, individual besides being an amazing musician. So uh, look forward to that. If you're a musician, uh, there are also scholarships. You can get the tickets on the cheap. Like, So if you're like, I need to know more about this. I need to know essentially how to do my business the best I can. Um Follow the link. I think it's twenty five bucks. It might be a little more, might be a little less. I don't know, but it's cheap, and and you can go and and talk to all these amazing uh, people in the business sector, and also amazing people in the and just fellow artists who are all working towards a greater cause. So, uh, really looking forward to that. This I've been trying to go for five years, and and just haven't had time. And this year I'm making time, so you should too. Uh, so that is going to be at the end of this month. Before we get out of here this week. As I said up front, our friend PJ Sykes, uh, he fronts a band named Hoax Hunters, and they have a new EP coming out. It goes by the name of Clickbait. Um, PJ, from 
I have uh, I've gotten to know PJ over the past year, and uh, I, I think what I, what I'm about to say is like echoed by anybody who's ever talked to PJ Sykes. He's basically one of the nicest guys you are ever going to talk to, and, and I mean ever. And um, he just uh, just has very very chill, very relaxed. But I think one listen to the track that we're about to play off clickbait, you realize that uh, somewhere deep in his heart is a is a righteous rage. In fact, I asked him about it because I was laughing. I said, "Man." This is, uh, you're, you're angry. And he goes, well, you know, this is, it comes out in, in the music. And that, that um, you know, this is a uh, mildly political record, uh, I think, which is a new thing for hoax hunters. Not, not terribly new, but I, I don't remember them being this overt about it, uh, specifically this song, American Mission, that we're going to play. So uh, let's go ahead and play the song. Get ready. You know, just turn it up, man, because this thing fucking rocks so american mission off of hoax hunters upcoming ep clickbait here you go That was uh, American Mission off of uh, Hoax Hunter's Clickbait. It will be out and available to put in your ears uh, the full EP uh, on 10-16. That is this Friday coming up, so please do that. Uh, You'll see us tweeting all about it. uh, And uh, really, it's a... uh, After hearing the whole thing, it's a a nice little step forward for the band. Uh, It was going through a little transition and stuff, but uh, man, they just killed it. Uh, So... That is our podcast for this week. Uh, as usual, uh, if you like what you are hearing right now, please go to the iTunes store and rate us. That's where you subscribe to us. Uh, you may subscribe to us in Overcast, which actually just released the version 2.0 of their software. It's an app. Uh, you may listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen wherever you listen to us. Just, you know, offer a little feedback if you like. We listen to it. We really do. And, uh, and we appreciate it. Uh, beyond that, uh, weeks coming up, we're actually sticking to the interviews. Uh, you know, last week we talked about Future Birds. This weekend, Future Birds were down here in the basement because that's apparently how we roll. Um, and the only reason it didn't go out this week is just you know Future Birds fatigue, uh, as some people said. But that's okay. It's also because sometimes I gotta edit this shit. Um, and uh, but they were uh, they, they were great. We, we talked to them about talk us talking about their album. It's very it's a very meta experience but uh you have that to look forward to next week and a couple other good interviews and we're going to get back i think 
to the album stuff uh, before October is out, maybe once or twice. So uh, until then, we will talk to you in about seven days. Uh, as usual, be good to your ears and be better to your people. See you later. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>